Do you mind? We're going to be talking about the mind, but we're beginning this seminar, at least the morning meetings, we're going to be talking about marriage. What is marriage? How to have a good marriage? How to prepare for marriage? How many of you have ever seen a marriage that you thought, that is a beautiful marriage. I would love to have a marriage like that someday. How many of you have ever seen that? Okay, most of us. How many of you have seen a marriage where if you thought about it, you'd say, I want to make sure I never get married and have a life like that. Anybody ever seen that? What do you think you see more of of the two? The second one, someone said, well, hopefully we can prepare that we can find principles and not just principles because facts only bring us so far, but hopefully we can actually begin to live a life that would prepare us to be people who could live a beautiful marriage. And before we begin talking about that, I just ask that you bow your heads with me for one more word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time together. We thank you for food. Food is a real blessing. Breaking bread together. Lord, as we break the physical bread and the spiritual bread, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that your presence would teach us, and that we would see Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. How many of you have heard, I'm sure most of you, how many of you have heard of Socrates? Okay, tell me, who is Socrates? Can you tell me? Philosopher, Greek philosopher, yeah. And he, he, he came up with what we kind of consider the Socratic method, you know, discovering things by asking questions. He was one of the uh, men who helped us discover what we would call epistemology, where you discover why you believe what you believe. And when you look through history, I believe that you see a lot of times down through history, people had a false conception of what true marriage is all about. Even Socrates. Now Socrates, though, he said something that I think was kind of a half-truth in a way. There's some truth to it. But he said something very interesting. Socrates said, by all means, marry. He said, if you find a good spouse, you will become happy. If you find a bad one, you will become a philosopher. <laughs> Socrates was a philosopher. So maybe this is a little insight into why he became what he became, right? I'm not sure. But his idea, the idea that if you find the right person, it will make you happy. Is, does this bear out in modern life? They did an actual study in Germany from about 1984 to 1995. So about an 11-year study of 24,000 German citizens, both in East and West Germany. And what they tried to discover was how much happy do you, happiness do you actually receive from getting married? So looking at these 24,000 people, this is a significant amount of people, uh, after looking at, and after studying and finding out, okay, what was it like before, what was it like after, what they discovered was that if you were happy before you got married, you were happy after you got married. That in general, marriage didn't really change people's happiness, the levels of happiness. So Socrates said, if you find a good spouse, it will make you happy, right? Now, is this actually true? And it doesn't seem that true happiness is found in another human being. Now, this is what we all kind of hope for, I think, in general. 
I mean, we see it on the movies, we see it on the television, we read about it. And in life, our, our thought process is, is that, listen, marriage is actually going to make me happy. Now, I'm not here to, you know, be a downer and, oh no, marriage is, is terrible and it's not a good thing. No, actually, marriage can be a real blessing, but the reality of marriage is, is that in order to have a happy marriage, you want to become a happy person before you get married. You want to become a person who can actually have happiness in singlehood and also a person that can make another individual happy. That sounds kind of obvious, and you haven't learned very much. But the reality is, is that we realize, okay, if we're going to be somebody who has a happy marriage, if, typically when you see two unhappy people come together, two broken people coming together trying to be fulfilled in the other, we don't actually find what we're looking for. So we look all the way back to ancient times, you know, to 400 plus years before Christ, to Socrates, and we see that uh, he had somewhat of a misconception of marriage. We come down to even the disciples themselves. If, if, if you have a Bible, I don't expect you to have one, but I'd encourage you, if you do have a Bible, to bring one with you in the future. Uh, I don't expect you to have one today. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is, uh, he's there with his disciples, but there's also this group of people known as the uh, Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were an interesting group of people. They would have, if you would have seen the Pharisees in Jesus' day, you would have thought by looking at them that they were the most spiritual, religious people. Because they lived lives that were uh, just almost perfect to the outward eye. They lived a very high religious, uh, you know, at least in, on an outward perspective, they lived very religious lives. And so they were not thought of like we typically. We look at them and we think, man, those people were terrible. And really, they did have hard hearts. But they looked wonderful on, on the outside. And they had a question for Jesus in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 19. It says, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They want to know, Jesus, is it okay to, get, you know, to let go of your wife for any, any reason? And because to them, they lived in a time where, you know, if you didn't, you know, if your wife, I don't know, maybe cooked your, uh, I don't know, they would eat clean food so they wouldn't have sausage in the morning. But, you know, cooked your lamb in the morning and it, and it wasn't good enough. Okay, I don't want to be with you anymore. You could simply get divorced, right? And so they wanted to make sure. They were, they were trying to debate with Jesus. And then Jesus says, no, 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 you shouldn't just get divorced for any reason. Not just for any old reason. There, there, there are reasons, Yes. And so the, the disciples hear this, and they have a very strange response to him. They see this whole, whole situation. They see this kind of debate going on between the Pharisees and Jesus. And notice what the disciples thought. Now, these are the guys we think of as, you know, St. Peter, right? These are the, you know, John, the wonderful, uh, the beloved John. Notice their response when they heard this situation. It says down in verse 10, his disciples said to him, if this is the case with the man and his wife, it is better not to get married. They said, if you can't just boot her to the curb for any old reason, maybe, maybe we just shouldn't even get married. This is kind of rough, right? Marriage isn't what I thought it should be. So now we have this ancient idea that marriage, marriage is going to make you happy. The disciples have this funny perspective. Uh, then you come down to the early church. And the early church, you had this situation where the early church began to think that things like sex and marriage were really actually kind of innately evil. 
They were innately evil. And so they thought uh, at best that, you know, let me see here. I kind of wrote one of the Augustine said, marital intercourse makes something good out of the evil of lust. So his perspective was that, okay, you know, marital intercourse makes something good out of the evil of lust. Now, this, once again, is a false conception of marriage. That actually marriage and being with your wife is actually an evil thing, but God somehow, you know, sanctifies the evil. Not at all. The Bible actually tells us in the book of Hebrews that the marriage bed is undefiled. That God made marriage to be a blessing. Something that could sustain the happiness of life. Not necessarily in general create happiness, but that's something that we should already have. We should already found this experience of joy and peace and happiness before we entered into it. But it could enhance those things to some capacity. So you see that through history there has been a false conception of marriage. And then there's obviously the modern Disney kind of idea of what marriage is like. And there's a, there's a little phrase that's used over and over in modern society. Just follow your what? Heart. You can never go wrong if you just follow your heart. Now, there is a little bit of truth to that. I mean, it's not you know, totally wrong. But in actuality, if we in all things follow our heart, we many times find that we find unhappiness. We don't find peace. We don't find the joy. We don't find what we were actually looking for. You know... One of my friends, I think of him as a philosopher. I think of him as a philosopher. Anybody know, anybody ever heard of Matt Parra? Matt Parra, he's an extremely intelligent man. Extremely intelligent. And he was this way, I think, from a child. Because he, his dad, his dad was a pool hustler. You know what a pool hustler is? Someone who goes to, like, the pool hall. And they hustle people out of their money because they're better at pool and they, and they win at that. And he was six years old, Matt Parra said, he was saying, I was six years old and I thought on my dad and I discovered that my dad, he said, I thought to myself at six years old, my dad is a bum. My dad is a bum. Most six-year-olds would never even consider something like that, right? You always look up to dad, but he recognized my dad doesn't live a decent life. My dad's a bum. And Matt said this, this is very simple, but... Matt was sharing a sermon. He, he didn't have a child yet, but he was asked to preach on, on fatherhood. It was on uh, Father's Day. And so as he was asked to preach on that, he got up and he was kind of struggling because he didn't have any children. He's here supposed to talk about being a father. And, and one of the things he said was, he said, if you think you are a good person, if you think you are a good person, get married. Get married. Now, you're, if you're not married, you think, oh, no, I, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't even know that. I used to think I was a really good person. I used to actually think I was a really good person. I really did. I thought I was actually a good guy. You know, I was decent. I was moral. And actually, it was even before I got married that uh, I discovered that I was not a good person. But marriage even enhanced that recognition. After getting married to my wife, I recognized, man, life is different than I thought. And, you know, one of the things I, I read about a woman from the 1950s. This woman in the 1950s, she wrote kind of an essay on marriage and, or love and such. And what she said was that after she got married, you know, when, when, when people are looking to get married, she was probably thinking the very same thing. That you're looking for, you know, bliss and joy. You think of the beautiful marriage ceremony in the church and all these, you know, the accoutrements of marriage. And as she does this, as she's thinking about this, something happens. She gets married and then she writes later on about this experience. And what she says is, you know what I discovered? She said, to my horror... To my dismay, 
After I got married, all those crazy childhood emotions that I had ended up coming back into my life. The hatred I would have to my brother, the anger I would have to my parents, they actually came back after I got married. She said, I never would have guessed. I, I would have had no idea that this is what, what, would get, what would happen. Now, what I'm saying right here sounds kind of depressing. You're thinking, man, I, I think this is probably enough of this marriage seminar, right? I want something a little more happy than this. Now, here's the reality. It actually is meant to be a blessing. But the blessings of life many times also come with trials. Is that true? I mean, how many of you are, are going to school here? I mean, most of you, right? Now, obviously, is it a trial to be in school, yes or no? But, is it, but when you actually finally graduate, do you think, man, that was worth it? I don't, this isn't sounding good. Maybe, maybe that was a terrible illustration, right? I hope, it, I hope it's worth it, right? I mean, you're here. You're paying an insane amount of money, and you know, you're here for years, potentially. But generally, the best, thing in, best things in life actually take a lot of effort. They take a lot of work. And you can learn through those things. You know, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. You know... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is what we would call the love chapter. It's just a whole chapter of Paul delineating what love is not and also what love is. He talks about love being patient and love being kind. But also one of the things he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that love does not seek its, its own. Isn't that interesting? Love does not seek its own. Now, let's think about this for a moment, because typically when we think of marriage, what are we actually thinking about? We're thinking about how another individual can make me happy. But the Bible says love does not seek its own. So if love doesn't seek its own and I'm just looking for someone who is going to make me happy, maybe I actually don't have what total true love is yet. I'll tell you this. I had a friend of mine who was an atheist. We grew up, he was my best friend growing up. And, I mean, since he was in second grade, he was an atheist. And the strange thing is, I mean, we weren't Adventists. Uh, but he, he, uh, his parents were the most godly people I had ever met in my life. And as a second grader, he didn't believe in God. And he also told me at one point that he said, you know, uh, I, I remember like right around second grade him saying, you know, I, I just don't believe in God. And I believed in God, but I just wasn't really a follower of God. And it was surprising for me to hear this young man didn't believe in God, but we grew up and we were best friends for life. I mean, and uh, long story short, he told me at one point, he said, it's strange. He said, because I, my parents are really good to me. They're very good to me. He said, but I really don't love them. You know, the Bible says in 1 John, he that knoweth not God knoweth not love for God is love. It, it's interesting because Andy... He didn't, he didn't really have love. And then later on, uh, I, I'll probably tell you more about that later, but later on, Andy became a Christian. And he had a girlfriend, and he actually, I think, experienced true love for the first time. And this young lady, he actually loved her. But something happened. This girl cheated on him with another guy. And you know what Andy told me? He told me this with all seriousness. He said, if he is better for her, then I want her to be with him. Andy actually discovered what true love was. Because love, what? Seeks, what? Not its own. 
Andy actually went from a guy who didn't even love people who loved him to loving somebody more that he would want their happiness even in a greater capacity than his own. It boggled my mind. I had never seen anything like that. I'd never seen anything like that at all before. Andy was it. Andy, actually, I'll tell you, I'm going to talk about it more tonight. Atheists have changed my life. They really have. I'm here because of atheists. They have been a great blessing to my life, and I'm going to talk more about that tonight. And Andy is one of them. But the reality is love is something a little different than we think. And actually, the thing is, when you constantly seek your own and you constantly seek good feelings for yourself alone, you end up discovering that you do get them for a time, but they're also fleeting. They fly away, right? Meaning if all you want is a good feeling, you can have it immediately with a drug or a drink or this and that. I know. I know from experience. But you also find that when you're just seeking something for yourself, that it feels good for a time, but then it flies away, right? But love seeks not her own. And God wants to give us this experience where we're transformed, where we have a life where we find out what true love is and have happiness that we have peace on the inside. And one of the illustrations the Bible has of love is God's law. It talks about all of the law can be summed up in one word, and that one word is love. Think about this with me for a moment. And God, the Bible tells us also, I just quoted in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, where it tells us that God is love. God is love, and His law is love. Now think about this with me just for a moment. See if we can follow along with this thought. That God is love, His law is love, and God's law is a transcript of His character, meaning it's like a representation. His law, His word is like a representation of His character. Now, the law does something very interesting. The law says in James, or the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 23, it says, If any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man looking at his natural face in a mirror. And then it says, For he looks at himself and he goes his way and he straightway forgets what kind of man he was. But then it says, But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty... The perfect law of liberty and continues therein. He, being not a forgetful doer, but a hearer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, what on earth is going on here? What is going on here is the Bible says the law is like a, a mirror. Now, what, what's the purpose of a mirror? You tell me. It helps you see yourself, right? Now, let's say you look into the mirror and, and you realize that you have some soot on your face. So you look into the mirror and you discover, whoa, I am what? I'm dirty. I am dirty. You have a few options now. Meaning you can realize that and you can go and grab some soap and you can clean yourself up. And then you can look back in the mirror and you can discover that you are, I, I'm clean. I, I look the way I think I'm more odd to look. Uh, that, that's one of the options. Now, the other thing is you could look into the mirror and you could discover that you are filthy, Right? And you could grab a, a hammer and you could, you could smash the mirror. That's one way to avoid seeing that you're dirty, yes? But does it fix the problem, yes or no? You're just as dirty as you were before you smashed the mirror. Now you just can't see that you're dirty, right? The interesting thing is, though, the Bible says the law, the Word of God, is like a mirror it says, so the law is like a mirror. Jesus also, when He came to planet Earth, His life, his existence is also kind of like that. Jesus was the living word. He was the living law. He lived it out perfectly. 
Perfectly, he walked all of the commandments of God. And so, as we look at Jesus, as we look at his lifestyle, it's like looking into a mirror. And I, I think I'm a pretty good person. Now, let me ask you, let's think about this. The law tells us that we are sinners. How many of you have ever lied before? Raise your hand. Okay, 80% of us. That makes the other 20% of us liars. <laughs> now, let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever stolen? And all the rest of us told us that they were just liars, right? So we don't know. Now, get the point. Get the point. I've stolen. I've lied many, many times. The Bible says that we are sinners. The Bible shows Chad that his prettiness, meaning the beauty that I thought I had, actually isn't so nice. Because I discover if I go through all the Ten Commandments, I find out that I am actually a sinner. But now, the law shows me that. But let me ask you a question. Can the law now clean me, yes or no? Does the mirror cleanse you once you find out that you're dirty? No. Meaning, putting your face on the mirror, it just gets the mirror a little dirty and it smudges stuff around, right? But it doesn't cleanse you. The mirror tells you that you are dirty and then it tells you that you need to be it need, that you need to be cleansed. So think this through with me for a moment. What do we need to do once we find out that we're dirty? We need to be cleansed. Now, according to the Bible, how would someone go about being cleansed? The sacrifice of what? Of the Lamb of Jesus, right? Jesus actually... So here's the deal. The law doesn't save us. The law never could save us. That's not, the purpose. That's not the purpose of the law. The Bible actually tells us in the book of Romans that the law has a weakness, that it doesn't have the power to save me, but I actually have to turn away from the law and I need to look to someone else who can save me from my sinfulness. Like I need, in essence, I need soap, I need water, I need to be cleansed. Now let's think this through. Now... The law is like a mirror, so Jesus is kind of like a mirror to us, but the Bible also tells us that our relationship with God is like an illustration of marriage. It's like an illustration of marriage, that Jesus comes to his bride, which is the church. He comes to his bride, which is the church, and, and he, is, he is perfect, and as the, as the church looks at their Savior, they discover that they are what? That they are sinners. That they are dirty. And in the same way, when we get married, one of the things you discover is that all those emotions, all those things of life that you, you know, see right now, a lot of times when you're single, I mean, if you have a girlfriend or boyfriend, it may come out in that relationship, but when you're totally single, uh, life isn't always, it can be hard, don't get me wrong, fully it can be hard. But there are certain aspects of, of our emotions that don't just come to the head when we're single. Except for more of a desire like, oh, if I just had a boyfriend, I would be happy, right? <laughs> but the reality is, so we have, yes, many emotions, but, but when we're married, we end up having to actually come face to face. So me looking at my wife is kind of like me looking into a mirror. I discover all kinds of crazy stuff about me that I thought was dead. I actually do. I thought, this is nuts. How on earth am I still like this, right? This is crazy. So what we try to do a lot of times, imagine you got the law. And legalists, what legalists do with the law is they think, if I could just do it right, then I could be saved. That's legalism. Does that make sense? That's legalism. So, if, so I want the law to save me. 
But the law doesn't save Chad. It just tells Chad, Chad, you've sinned. You're dirty, right? The law can't save me. The law points me to Jesus and says, he can save you. He can cover your sins. He can make you righteous. You get the point. And so in a marriage, what happens is many times people are looking to the wife to bring them happiness. The wife is looking to the husband that she would bring him happiness. Or did I say that right? You get what I'm trying to say even if I said it wrong? You get the point. So two people are trying to look at each other to find happiness. You get that? So they're looking to the wrong source because that individual cannot bring about eternal happiness in their life. Yes or no? Listen, Germany is a very secular country. They discovered the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been over there. I mean, I've talked with people on the street. And, you know, they say what many Americans might say. You know, God is for weak people. God is for poor people and drug addicts and so forth. Uh, but they recognize, even in a secular state, that happiness does not ultimately come from another. It doesn't come from another individual. And so we... We can be in this relationship, we can look into that law and recognize, wow, I got issues. And even maybe my wife does, right? I mean, uh, we have issues. But instead of looking to each other to fulfill us, to cleanse us, to give us, you know, transform our lives, we need to turn our eyes, our eyes away to one who can transform us. One who can change our mind. One who can change our heart. The law cannot save me. That wasn't its purpose. My wife cannot save me. That is not her purpose. Nor can I save her for that matter, right? We, you know, we, we, we have fun together. My wife is actually my best friend. You'll see her tomorrow. She'll be here with me and she'll be sharing also. I will share some of our personal experience. By no means are we perfect. Oh, look at that. She exists. She, there she is in the back. I, I, was, uh, I, was, I lived in Iceland for a year, one of the most uh, atheistic countries in the world. And uh, I, was, I was studying the Bible with a guy who was a, he was a spiritualist, and uh, he told me for months, he said, you know, my wife, she's over in Taiwan right now, and after he kept saying that week after week after week, I actually began to wonder, is this dude lying to me? Does he not actually have a wife? And sure enough, he did, and she finally came from Taiwan, and there was no point in me telling you that story. So let's get back to the message. <laughs> Where were we? All right. What's that? Oh, see, see, she can help me out. The law. That's right. We were talking about the law and how it doesn't save us. Amen? Amen. Thank you, wife. Thank you. So I want to challenge you. We're going to talk more about it as we go forward. This is just a simple introduction message. We're going to talk about preparing for marriage. We're going to talk a bit more about what marriage is. We're going to talk about what it is, uh, some of what it is to be a woman, uh, some of what it is to be a man. And how we can become the people that God has called us to be. He has a plan for your life that's way better than your plan for yourself. You may be even in line for that plan already, but the reality is He wants to enhance your plans so that they are the most fulfilling thing that they possibly could be. That's what God designed us for. That we would actually exhibit His character to the world. We would be fulfilled in the process. We would find the greatest joy in life. But the trouble is, when we look to the wrong place for our happiness, we never find it. And I find it fascinating, even secular uh, musicians, many times, they know these things, right? Old song, looking for love, what? In all the wrong places, right? 
We're looking for it here, we're looking for it there, and the reality is we don't find it somewhere in somebody else, except for in the one who created us. Jesus wants us to find the fulfillment that we have been called to. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, don't be deceived through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. It says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then the next words say this. It says in verse 10, and you are complete in him. You are complete in Jesus. When you find the completeness that he has called you to, then you can actually have a marriage that continues that happiness. If two people can find the happiness that God has called them to and they come together, they can have that happiness together. So I want to challenge you to begin to seek. If you're not already seeking, if you're already seeking God, continue to do so. But if, if, you're, not, if you're not someone who has really put much thought into a relationship with God, find that fulfillment first. Find the fulfillment that God has called you to have. And then you can take that into your marriage. You can also give that maybe to your children if you choose to have them. You can continue that process. You can have the fulfillment that God wanted you to have. He wants you to be happy. I, I love this, this old quotation. It's a quotation from like 100 years ago. And basically what it said is man's greatest desire is to be happy. And sometimes we think, well, probably the next part is going to be, but God does not want that. That's not what it says. <laughs> it actually says, and all heaven understands this. And God will work to bring about that absolute happiness in your life if you allow him to. God knows your greatest desire is for happiness. But we don't find it when we look in the wrong places. When we look in it into a woman, when we look in for our happiness in a man, it's not there. It is in the one who brings you completeness. So I want to challenge you. Continue on that upward look. I was someone who had no interest in the Bible. But the Bible has changed my life. And so I want to challenge you. Do what I did. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just challenging you. I actually began to read through the Bible for the very first time, and I began to be changed by this book. Remember, this, the law is like a mirror. It reveals that I'm a sinner. It tells me you need a Savior. And as we are changed in Him, we have the fulfillment that He's calling us to. So I want to challenge you, if you don't read the Bible, to begin to pick it up. Give it a try. Give it a test for yourself. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I know you've changed my life. There's a lot more changing to go. I'm, never, I'm not here to point my finger at anybody else. I thank you that you've created all kinds of people. You have atheists. You have Buddhists. You have Hindus and you have Muslims. You have all other religions. You have Christians. And you say, listen, I desire all to come to me. That we could know you. Lord, I pray that we would be changed. That we would become people that you've called us to be, that we would reflect. Humanity sees it when we look at Jesus, Father, we see the beauty that he has.
And I pray that that beauty would be reflected in our lives. That we would live out your love. That we would not look, that I wouldn't look to my wife, she wouldn't look to me for happiness. That someone here would not look to a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, what have you. We wouldn't look to another. We would find happiness first. And that we could take that into our marriage to find peace and joy and be a blessing to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.